Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for the show. We're speaking on Tuesday, April 25th, 2023. Still no state budget. We're waiting for a state budget out of Albany, where the governor and legislature have been passing extenders to pay the state's bills, now heading toward a month into the new fiscal year while they negotiate a wide range of fiscal and policy priorities. As we speak here on the morning of Tuesday the 25th, it seems like there is finally some significant momentum going to get to a wide variety of either deals or no deals on things that will wind up in the budget. While it's not great for the state or for Governor Hochul and the legislature in terms of showing their governance prowess, the late budget does allow us more time to dive into various elements of what's being proposed and debated and negotiated with major sets of policies on the table for big issues like housing, climate and energy, jobs in the economy, education, healthcare, criminal justice, and more. The budget for the current fiscal year that began April 1st is expected to come in around $230 billion and include many new policy initiatives, though a number of major policies being debated could wind up without compromise and thus pushed out of the budget and into the legislative session that follows and runs through June. That session will now be shrunk quite a bit because of the late budget, again, leading to questions about whether things don't get into the budget, whether they will get dealt with at all. One such issue where that may be the case is housing. This was, of course, Governor Hochul's top new agenda item for this year, taking on New York's housing crisis, especially its slow pace of adding new housing supply to keep up with job and population growth to meet demand so that growth could be even larger to prevent people from leaving the state over housing affordability issues and so forth. Hochul released her ambitious New York housing compact in January, and it has been the subject of debate and negotiations over the course of the last few months, while members of the legislature have also sought to put other housing policies on the table. There are many facets to the housing conversation in New York, from efforts to spur new development on a large enough scale, to ending exclusionary zoning, to tenant protections, to public housing rent relief, and more. But for the most part, it appears, and I stress appears because we won't know till we really see a budget deal, that housing is falling out of the budget and expected sometime by or around May 1st that we see what's in that budget deal, could be this week. And that's according to news reports, comments from the legislative leaders and others, people I've spoken with saying a lot of the same things. Again, you never know till they actually announce a deal, though. If you've been listening to this show, you know we've been digging into housing a lot over the past year plus, and especially this year, given the governor's focus on the issue and its prominence in state budget negotiations and its prominence as a challenge for New York State, perhaps our biggest one. So we're continuing to get different perspectives on housing policy and funding decisions in New York here on this episode. My guest today will give us some insight into state budget negotiations when it comes to housing as well as her view on what should happen in the budget, or if that's the case, after the budget in the legislative session to follow. Sia Weaver is campaign coordinator for Housing Justice for All, a coalition of tenant organizations that calls itself a statewide movement of tenants 
and homeless New Yorkers united in a fight for housing as a human right. Sia Weaver is one of the leading housing advocates in New York, aligned with many activists and elected officials in pushing for tenant protections and a more socialized vision for housing in the state. Top of the list for housing justice for all is the good cause eviction legislation that would put strict limits on under what conditions a landlord can evict a tenant. It would add new lease renewal requirements and it would limit allowable annual rent increases. In short, it's a major tenant protection bill that would much more stringently regulate the private housing market, adding regulations to millions of apartments across the state with some echoes of the rent regulation system for roughly 1 million New York City apartments. Housing Justice for All has other priorities too that we'll get into and has been among the housing focus groups of various stripes pushing for some kind of grand bargain from state leaders to address the housing crisis from multiple angles. But as I've said, no bargain appears imminent and New York leaders may come to a big old state budget deal while doing very little to address perhaps the top crisis facing New York State. But we won't get too depressed here. We will talk with Sia Weaver about what's going on in Albany and what comes next. Sia, thank you for joining me. Welcome. How are you? Thank you for having me. I am I'm good. I'm, I'm a little worn out from this budget cycle, but I'm happy to be here. Thanks for joining me. So just start briefly with uh, the top of your agenda. I mentioned good cause eviction. If there's anything you want to add to my description or or correct or uh, disagree about my description, please start there and then add on to that. What else have you and your coalition been most focused on here as uh, state budget negotiations have unfolded? Well, good cause eviction um, really is a transformative bill that we, it really has sort of two parts to it. One, as you mentioned, is the right to stay in your apartment um, if you're following the terms of your lease and you, we call them sort of no fault evictions, right? Um, tremendous amount of retaliation happens across the state if tenants call 311, if they start organizing with their neighbors and good cause really allows for eviction protections um, and the freedom to stay in your home without retaliation from your landlord. The second is the way that the good cause eviction bill um, prevents price gouging from happening on unregulated renter households across the state. And so while you mentioned New York does have a really robust um, rent stabilization system, a pretty robust system of subsidized housing, but there's about 1.4 million households, around 4 million tenants across the state who have no protections under the system at all. Um, and this is this is who this policy is designed for um, the the millions of renters who are just out living on the private rental housing market, um, who are seeking stability, who are seeking you know predictability in their communities, and and this gives sort of an extension of basic rights to them. Um, in addition to good cause eviction protections, we are fighting for rental assistance and expansion of rental assistance for low-income New Yorkers who are currently locked out of our housing assistance programs. Um, so people who are undocumented, renters in upstate New York especially, don't really have very many options when it comes to help paying the rent. Um, and we have a tremendously rent burdened state. Uh, and then our final sort of big piece of legislation is something called the Tenant Opportunity to Purchase Act, which would allow tenants to form a collective, a, a tenants association at the point of sale. 
and make a right of first offer uh, to their landlord to take over the building, um, notably not to take it over um, and run it as market housing, but to take it over and convert it into either a shared equity cooperative, a community land trust, or um, some other type of non-speculative housing. Mm-hmm. So those are the three right. places of our platform. <laughs> yeah, thank you. So take us back um, to... January, the governor releases this big housing compact plan focused on uh, housing supply, not exactly even affordability per se. She says she passed, you know, a big affordable affordable housing package in last year's budget that needs more examination, of course, but it's got a bunch of money to sort of subsidize some affordable housing development. Um, The argument, of course, in part is that with a lot more housing supply, it will at least help break the immense cost curve uh, facing New York tenants, but she wasn't so focused on affordability. It was much more about driving supply with benefits of availability and some benefits of uh, related to affordability, but no tenant protections in her agenda. So how are you sort of thinking very broadly uh, in brief, how are you thinking in January about sort of the fight ahead from Late January, the governor releases her executive budget that then puts a little more meat on the bone at, right at the beginning of February. So you have February and March, you thought. Now you've had April as well. But um, you thought you had a couple months here to work on that agenda in relation to what the governor put out as what she said was basically her top new priority. She also you know, put public safety and criminal justice reform alongside it. But this was really her new, big new agenda item. How are you thinking about the sort of path ahead with your agenda and what the governor staked out there? Yeah, I mean, so starting with the positives, right? Um, during the budget season, the governor is really setting the conversation. And and we were actually pretty heartened to see that um, the governor agrees with us. Housing is one of, is maybe the top issue that New Yorkers face and the sort of unaffordable housing um, across the entire state, especially as more and more people are renting their homes. And so we were sort of, you know, it, it's always harder in this work if you have to convince the the sort of legislature and the governor that the things that you care about are the things that they should care about too. So we're happy there. Um, but, you know, we really think that her her plan starting in January and, and up until this moment, right, her, her plan fell short in a couple ways. The first is that there is no, there's really affordability is an afterthought. Um, and the second is that um, there's no tenant protections included at all. And so what it had the potential to do was create a lot of housing for people to live in, but people wouldn't be able to stay where they currently are or even stay in the new housing that gets built. Um, and then the, the sort of final important thing about the governor's plan is that it takes a long time to build a building. You know, it would have maybe started to produce housing in about three years. Uh, cities and local governments would have had about three years to rewrite zoning codes, to increase production, especially along the transit lines. Um, and Governor Hochul, um, you know, isn't addressing the housing. We, we, we said at the time that she wasn't really addressing the housing crisis with any urgency. People can't pay their rent next month. Um, they are struggling with their food costs or their medical bills in order to put their money to their rent today. And, you know, hundreds of thousands of children in our public school systems are unstably housed. So there's all of these sort of emergency conditions that exist that her plan wasn't really speaking to, given like how inelastic the housing market really is. Um, 
And so we were like, great, the table's set. Here's what she wants. Here's what we want. Actually, the truth is, I think those things could go kind of nicely together, right? Um, rental assistance to help people afford the rent, tenant protections so that you can do development without displacement, and then really trying to tackle a housing shortage, especially in the suburbs that is, you know, decades and decades in the making. All of that made sense to me as a housing plan. And, and truthfully, it, it still does. Mm. So as I was getting at, that's like a little bit of the sort of grand bargain perspective that, you know, I think there was some significant optimism for among a number of advocates, maybe some legislators and some some folks outside of, you know, sort of the more insider process. Um, so <clears throat> in order to get your agenda passed, you obviously then needed to really rely on the legislature. The governor has her housing compact. The two houses of the legislature come out in mid-March with their one house budget resolutions. And those are, you know, those are not set budget plans. They are a major moment in priority setting in, in negotiations, but they went in a very different direction. Uh, the assembly and the state Senate with their democratic supermajorities went in a different direction on housing from the governor. Basically they said, we agree, we need more housing. We want to set some targets. We need more supply but we're not going to require it. The governor has, uh, you know, requirements and override mechanisms and all sorts of things to make it happen. The legislature says we want to offer financial incentives, incentives to localities for adding new housing, but no requirements, no overrides, no, no rezoning of, of transit oriented development around MTA stops. Not even that. Um, but they did want to do the housing access voucher program. They wanted to do some NYCHA, uh, tenant rent relief and and a few other things. And both houses of the legislature gave a very solid, uh, maybe I would say, nod to good cause eviction, but didn't really go seemingly sort of full-throated uh, on it in those budget resolutions. So they said, okay, here's where we're at. We believe in the, you know, the principles of good cause. We want to do housing uh, vouchers. We believe in housing supply. All right, let's let's negotiate. Mm -hmm. what what take us from that moment to where we've got no deal uh, what what's your perspective state budget negotiations really heat up mid to late march we're now in late april what's gone on in this last month um to not get a deal on on all this stuff in some way you know it, it it's really interesting i think the truth is is that the governor really truly dug her heels in when it comes to the question of good cause eviction. Um, and I think also on some of the other stuff like rental assistance as well. Um, when it comes to rental assistance, she didn't really want to spend money. And the, the position was that she spent money last year. She doesn't want to spend money this year. And she doesn't like sort of permanent subsidy programs the way that rental assistance is. Um, the truth is, if you want to address housing affordability in New York, it's going to be hard to do that without spending any money. Um, land use reforms are not really going to get us there on their own. Um, but really, the major, major, major stumbling block for us was the governor's opposition to even having a conversation about good cause. And and really, in our minds, that is that is the position of, of the industry as well. And so, you know, the industry supported Hochul's the, housing the real plan, estate real estate industry. Mm -hmm. um, but not they didn't support it enough that they were willing to go there and get their hands dirty and negotiate on good cause. And, and, and they refused to come to the table and the, and the governor refused to come to the table as well. Um, 
I think that's sort of what, final let, let, let me let me just pause you there. Was do you believe and you you obviously you and your coalition are in touch with lots of legislators. You are um, uh, lobbying them. You are pushing them to support uh, these policies and even the ones that are support. You're working with them on strategy. Now, the question is uh, for me and I think many others about the level and sort of depth of that support in the two legislative majorities. What's your assessment of what's been there on that? Is it that the two conferences, the majority sent their leaders in, Speaker Hasty and the Assembly, Majority Leader Stuart Cousins in the Senate, sent them into negotiations saying we must have some significant good cause protections to give you, Governor, just about anything that you're seeking in your housing compact? Yeah. So a couple of things. I think I would go back farther than January to tell the story, but both houses, the Assembly and the Senate are more progressive than they were last year. Um, in the in the case of the Assembly, right, Linda Rosenthal is now the Assembly Housing Chair. She's got a ton of influence. She's been a longtime supporter of tenant protections and her sort of ascension in the Assembly has been really, you know, critical for us to be building the support that we have built for good cause. Assemblywoman Pam Hunter, she's from upstate New York. She has been working her upstate New York colleagues on this bill for years. Um, and we generated a lot of support from suburban legislators for this piece of legislation, which is critical, right? You you see in what ended up happening, the, in, the influence that suburban legislators wield in, in the conference. Um, same is true in the Senate. We elected progressives, um, in the Southern Tier, we elected progressives in Queens we, with the Queens, Manhattan and Brooklyn, the Christian Gonzalez seat. And so the bodies are on the whole um, more progressive and more open to things like tenant protections as part of the conversation. And so we really did, I think, build pretty deep support to say like no housing stuff in the budget um, without good cause, without something meaningful and good cause. And and it took us it took us years to get there. Um, you know, I think. So, so, yeah. so that was from your perspective, from your understanding, that was the perspective of the legislative majorities going in, and the governor's perspective was no housing with good cause. And is that is that I mean, is that basically the way that that people should understand it? Is the legislative leaders were basically saying we're not going to really do anything big on housing without good cause eviction protections, and the governor's saying I'm not doing good cause eviction protections no matter what, and and there you have the the standoff. Yeah, I think that that's largely the standoff. I think there's like a second dynamic here, which is that like, I believe that there's a grand bargain to be made by isolating some of the sort of very conservative Democrats in the legislature who um, who didn't want any housing in their communities, period. So you've got suburban Democrats in Long Island saying that this is akin to a mass extinction event um, in the Senate and the Assembly. I, I really think that the path was like by uniting maybe some of the more middle of the road, real estate friendly Democrats with the progressives and the socialists to say, hey, here's a plan. And that that creates a majority in the Democratic Party to be able to deliver something transformative on housing. Um, so they would have to be willing to isolate the sort of more... Um, you yeah, know, the sort of like the st status quo the, exclusionary mindset, 
the exclusionary, I, yeah, the exclusionary zoning sub, sub, sub like suburbs. Um, uh, and, and I mean, to, 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 I, and to, those folks aren't the majority, right? They are not the majority, but they are loud, and they turned out to wield a lot of influence in the budget process as well. So it really was two things: it was the governor digging her heels in, and the suburbs digging their heels in as well. Um, I would, I would add from my perspective. Tell me if you disagree with this, but. It wasn't, it, you know, it seems to me there was a decent enough urban, not suburban, urban uh, discomfort with the governor's proposals that there there didn't seem to even be really enough enthusiasm in the legislature for doing key pieces of the housing compact that may or may not have been able to warm the governor over to some sort of good cause agreement, um, perhaps Perhaps that was just never going to be on the table for her. But my sense is that she didn't build in part um, enough of a coalition and make enough of a convincing case in the legislature to have enough support there. And it's not all on her, I would say, on that. You know, that's also just a lot of sort of local elected officials being very cautious about, uh, you know, allowing requirements and change and a whole variety of things that makes them uncomfortable about some of this. Um, and even Speaker Hasty, who I think, you know, signals some s- sympathy to to these ideas, was saying something just the day before we're talking here about more education being needed. And this was a very quick process. Maybe true, maybe not. Um, but it seems to be, you know, a level of discomfort for many legislators, even if they are sort of more well-meaning around the idea of of housing policy and more housing supply. But but don't you think there's an element to this, too, that for whatever reason, governor not building enough support, uh, not enough public pressure on the legislature, legislators not getting more on board, whatever it is, it wasn't just the suburban opposition that sort of led to, um, you know, perhaps a lack of sort of energy and enthusiasm in the legislature to say we will to say we will meet you more halfway to the governor. I think the urban opposition and like there's like urban and suburban are like maybe sort of like not exactly the right terms um, because it's also we're talking about like parts of Queens that maybe like act a little bit more suburban than um, technically city boundaries or whatever. Um, There but then there's also parts of like Manhattan, right, that maybe were opposed to parts of parts of the compact. Mm -hmm. But those folks are supporters of good cause. Those folks are supporters of HVP. Those folks, I think, would have come along for a deal. I think the part that really killed us was the the people who both hate the compact and hate good cause, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, and that that sort of dynamic is what couldn't get us over the finish line, I think, in the end. Um, And then I think we really actually did need. the members of the legislature who maybe want to follow the real estate industry, we needed we needed them to make them make the majority. Right. Um, and because Rebney had dug their heels in on no compact, if it means good cause, we we couldn't get those folks either. So that's sort of where we were. Yeah. So. Um, say a little and, bit more and, about that. Yeah, right. I mean, we're here again. We're speaking on Tuesday, April 25th. Um, Lots of this could change at any moment if somebody is willing to put the right deal in front of the right people. But um, uh, say a little bit more, you know, this idea. So this pro-housing group Open New York, um, I had executive director Anne-Marie Gray on the show a while back. So folks can find that episode to hear her perspective. She's a former uh, city official and planner 
you know, they're very pro housing. They started with a focus on New York City, expanded to New York State, but they came out and they said, you know what, we're going to support this big grand bargain. And they they tried to put out on the on the table early, fairly early in this session. Hey, we're a we're a pro housing group. We're pro development. But you know what? We also want to get behind tenant protections because that's a full package to try to get a deal done uh, and could also have benefits for for lots of people. Um, but and and there were others that that joined them in that support of both. And as you get out on the flip side, there were there were a lot of legislators opposing both. But is it that there was simply just not enough of a collective sort of movement to say, let's just compromise on a full grand bargain package here? Because I didn't see, you know, I didn't see that messaging really out there from that many people who are either more inclined to be on the tenant protection side originally, but coming around on the sort of the compact and the supply side and didn't really see it from the other direction either, the sort of more pro-development folks who say, you know what, let's do tenant protections and and figure this out in a holistic way. Is, is that a fair reading of the sort of political atmosphere? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that you are, so yes, I think that's sort of a fair reading. There, there was not many people who are saying, go ahead and do both. Um, you know, we were really focused on on our side of the equation and, and that's where that's where we're going to be focused. That's our that's our lane. And, and we do like to be there. Um, and so in some ways, it's not necessarily like the advocacy community's role to like put together the right coalition. Um, I will say that one one sort of major group that that sort of stayed on the sidelines throughout all of this is labor um, and the sort of dynamic between like, it, are there going to be like what, 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 where is labor going to fall on the compact, um, became like, I don't know that they were, they were shot. They were not, it was not their priority. Um, and that became an issue, I think too, right. You didn't really have that, that force. As far as I could tell along the lines of that, there's also the question of, okay, if the governor, if the governor is not going there to get a deal, you know, who, who is what elected leaders are sort of taking this on. And again, there seemed to be a pretty big vacuum there. Um, you know, you hear from uh, city controller Brad Lander, let's say, uh, who seems to support all of it. He's not, you know, really a major voice in Albany decision making negotiation. He, even his support isn't anywhere close to what it would be if Mayor Adams had come along and said, let's do it all. Let's get to a deal. We need all of this. Right. So you didn't have the legislative leaders sort of take, you know, both these legislative leaders really like to take the temperature of their uh, conferences. That's part of why they're legislative no. leaders, right? They don't really go out there on their own a lot. So you didn't have them. You don't really have um, another statewide official, you know, Attorney General James or Comptroller DiNapoli, you know, going out there on this stuff. So, I mean, that was the other thing that struck me is it seemed like, and again, he might still not have that much sway, but could have impacted the discussion. Mayor Adams seemed to be sort of missing from a lot of this too. Would you agree on that? I think, yes. I think this is a collective failure of of everyone to come to the table and make something work, right? Um, and it's a collective failure that has consequences. Um, you know, I think for it's a, it's a collective failure that has consequences right upstate mayors not just not just eric adams right um there's like no one who a lot of people were not willing to jump in here and get their hands dirty the way that we were trying to do and i think that that will 
lead unless we can get something together in the last five weeks of session, which I'm hopeful that we can, will lead to more people, you know, losing their homes. Um, I really do think that what happened here, at least, you know, sometimes I think about this as like the legislature in Albany is the terrain on which the organized tenant movement is fighting with the organized real estate industry. Um, and for the second year in a row, I think we sort of fought them to a draw, right? Um, they are not getting their 420A tax breaks. We're not getting our tenant protections. This is the second year in a row this has happened. And, and a draw is better than, than outright losing. But um, a draw for us means the major rent increases. It means people losing their homes. It, it, it sort of like has consequences. Um, and, you know, I'm just thinking about what are we going to tell like voters next year? They have to go and vote for state Democrats again. Um, mm. And for the second year in a row, we've, we've failed to get anything done. And so so it's really urgent in the next five weeks that we turn that around. Is there a compromise on good cause that could be on the table? Is there something where... Um, you know, for lack of a better term, and you obviously are, are going to be uh, low to answer this no matter what, but, you know, some sort of scaled back version of good cause that you'd say, you know what, we'll take half a loaf to get this step done. We come back for more next session. Uh, maybe there's a way to get half a loaf of the housing compact. You know, maybe that maybe there's a way for a, a compromise that's not everybody getting the full thing. Obviously, that's very rare. Um, but had those discussions happen where you said, you know what, uh, legislators that we're aligned with, let's let's figure this out. What are we what are we sort of willing to take, you know, in a deal? Is there is there a version of good cause that is the sort of like we'll take it uh, threshold? Yeah, I mean, we've always said that we're not married to every sort of crossed T and dotted I in this legislation. And there's a lot of versions out there that, that we could live with. Um, and. Those conversations did start to happen in the last three weeks, which is good. But ultimately, um, even a negotiated version is not something that the governor was was at the time willing to entertain. And, and so that's like the nut that we have to crack. Um, I do think that there's a version that we can pull over the finish line this year and we're eager to get there. And maybe that means it, it could mean two things. One, it could mean like putting together some package that has some other stuff in it that, you know, can get everybody at least maybe not totally a thousand percent happy, but, you know, good enough. Um, and then the other thing is there is a severity to the crisis right now. And the the sort of idea that we're going to go home with absolutely nothing um, isn't really, I think, acceptable to the legislature. Again, like Kathy Hochul doesn't have to go get reelected next year, but they do. Um, and during the legislative session, the power dynamics are different. They're the ones who are going to sort of set the stage and set the tone. And I, it makes me feel like confident that we're going to be able to at least do something. Um, and I'm, I'm going to try to make it happen. Can you say a little bit about what that, what that could look like? Yeah. I mean, there are still, I think you named it. There are still things that the mayor really wants. Um, out of this legislative session, there are still things that upstate New York mayors really need out of the session to keep people in their homes. Um, I think that there are a lot of upstate New York cities that have passed versions of good cause that don't look exactly like the state bill. That could be an option here. We could bring that bill to the state and pass it. Um, 
So I think, and and there's like, that's a version of the bill that has like demonstrated support. It's demonstrated that it's working. Unfortunately, what courts have said about that version of the bill is it's an it's very familiar to New Yorkers, New York City residents, that is, it's a issue of state preemption. Um, the courts have said, this is a good bill. It's keeping people in their homes. It's working the way it's intended to. And you, city government, don't have the authority under the New York state constitution to pass it. And, and, and so, that, that general version of the bill is is what in comparison to the version you outlined here? It's a little bit similar. The way that rent increases are defined is 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 different. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, all right. So that's going to continue to be discussed if there's no deal in the state budget, which again looks very unlikely, and and there's more of a push in the legislative session, which, as you said, the legislature. Uh, drives the agenda a bit more. The governor's powers of the budget are uh, gone, obviously, uh, to at least a a very significant degree. Um, Last few questions for you, CEO Weaver, and thank you again for taking the time um, as you continue uh, your advocacy work in Albany here um, as we near potentially a budget deal. Is the housing access voucher program, is that something that, as far as you know, is still on the table in these budget negotiations? Because that's you know, that's one of these things that has a that is a very direct fiscal matter. So if it doesn't happen in the budget, it's not happening this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, as far as I understand it, everything is out right now. Um, but like you've said many times, <laughs> it's not over until it's over. And right now it is not over. Um, so we'll see what happens in and the next few days. Is some NYCHA tenant rent relief, some replenishment of an uh, of that rent relief program that's focused on NYCHA tenants who are last in line for the prior ERAP program. Um, again, a, a something with a very direct fiscal impact. Is that something you would also put in that category as seemingly off the table, but who knows for the final deal? No, that is because that's sort of funding an existing program. As far as we understand it, as of April 25th at 11, 10 a.m., it's (laughs) still up for discussion. Um, And that's critical, right? Like that is, it would, that is, we cannot leave the session without getting people money, NYCHA and other housing authorities money to pay their back rents. Um, We deeply need that. Mm -hmm. Something I've been asking uh, lots of guests on this show, uh, as we've talked about housing a lot, that includes the state housing commissioner who was on a couple of weeks ago, Ruth Ann Visnauskas. Uh, listeners should find that episode really interesting discussion. You get the full uh, sort of Hochul administration rundown of their housing plan and why they think it's important and what they were looking to get in the budget. This was before things uh, apparently really fell off the table, um, but uh, a really good rundown there. Uh, it's something I asked um, State Senator Leroy Comrie of Queens, who was just on the show, and others, which is, I'm a little mystified how this idea of transit-oriented development, this piece of the governor's plan, isn't, you know, the, the idea that there's more housing density that needs to be allowed and sort of required around MTA mass transit stops how this isn't sort of a almost universally agreed upon uh, thing that just should just be done and be, you know, even if other pieces, if almost everything else falls apart, how is there not sort of almost universal agreement that there should be more housing around mass transit stops uh, throughout the MTA region, which includes lots of areas of New York City um, where there could be more housing around uh, subway stops. 
Is this something you have all have, have it all thought about as sort of its own uh, piece that is really worth fighting for because of the ways that it sort of combines a lot of different things, including climate policy, for example? Um, where where is transit oriented development in that piece on on your radar? You know, I think is, it's is it one of the part- special. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean. You know, the transit-oriented development parts of the governor's plan, again, didn't really have that same, that didn't have the affordability components included in them. And like, you know, pie in the sky, like our ideal version of housing production, a lot of the transit, the sort of value of the transit-oriented development for a community is created by like state action, it's created by the train and these sort of like collective things. And so we'd like as much of that value to be captured by, you know, the public entity and the housing to be affordable and it to be affordable in perpetuity. Because again, like you are creating a lot of value by like these public goods that are like right near the housing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so- I was gonna say, maybe it should come with some sort of version of mandatory inclusionary housing. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. something with some sort I mean, of- to like, get to a, some sort of compromise where you do get mm-hmm. some chunk of affordable housing, but that, that, you know, for- it's not necessarily subsidized by the state. It's sort of baked into the overall rezoning and the and the developers' costs and such. But yeah, something like that, right? Like those are the parts. The transit-oriented development is the parts where I think you have the the most value and the most the, the strongest argument for deep affordability. Um, the other thing about the transit-oriented development is when you start to create the value like that, that's where gentrification really does take off. And, and that's where the tenant protections are so important. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that like what you're talking about right here is like exactly why we needed to get to some sort of grand bargain. There is something good that can happen around like the like Bronxville Metro North stop that that didn't get to happen. And hopefully we can get there soon. Let me um, let you go on this probably. Um, <laughs> the 2019 rent regulation reforms that you helped uh, really fight for and and helped get passed um, that really strengthened the, uh, the the tenant protections and the rent regulations for rent regulated apartments. Um, are those working? Um, where do the do those fit into this discussion in any way? You have uh, landlord groups saying they. Um, have these major flaws where we're now facing tens of thousands of vacant rent regulated units because it doesn't pay off for landlords to renovate those units when a longtime tenant leaves and they have to do major upgrades to get them to a state of good repair. And there's a lead remediation laws and all these things that the landlord groups say is now keeping tens of thousands of rent regulated units off the market in direct connection to the changes in, in 2019 that limited their ability to pass um, expenses on to the rents and the tenants. Where do you see that conversation? Do you think they're generally full of it uh, on saying that and, and that it it is cost effective? You know, it could be cost effective if they get them back on the market, even at the rent regulated rents, um, but they just are trying to hold out for a better deal. Or where do you see that sort of narrow piece of how that law change is working out? 
Yeah. So I, the short answer is yes, I basically think that they're full of shit. Um, the longer answer is that for the limited inventory where they re, where the buildings really do need repairs and renovations, the city just rolled out a program that Adams administration, you probably think doesn't do stuff that I would typically like. The city just rolled out a great program um, to invest $10 million in bringing vacant distressed rent stabilized apartments back online, providing money to landlords to upgrade the units um, and keep them rent stabilized and affordable. Well, not affordable, income targeted, but you know, rent stabilized. So, so there's options here, right? Um, for the limited pool of buildings that are like, or apartments that are like truly distressed and like truly need that influx of cash and, and the landlord needs it too. Um, the other reality is that while yes, it costs money to own housing and run and operate housing, um, rent stabilized, and this is in the RGB report that came out like yesterday or the day before, um, buildings are trading at like a, at a very high price still. Um, rent stabilized buildings are, are, there hasn't really been a market dip here. Um, they are, landlords are earning an enormous amount of equity on the building and they should be putting some of that equity back into repairing the apartments, right? That's what you would do with any other investment. You should do it here on housing too. Um, so, you know, but is it, but but, but the first part of your answer do you see the key the key to getting more of these units back online again let's if if the sort of census of them is is accurate or close to accurate as um I don't even remember the latest number tens of thousands of, of these units um is is most of the answer in your mind a, a program like the Adams administration just ro- rolled out it's government funding to help but it comes with certain you know requirements about who to house no, so I, I think that no. the census is I think that the census is a bit more overblown than the industry's own numbers are saying, right? I think that they are gonna need to put those apartments that to the extent that there are distressed units that are not online, I don't think it's like tens of thousands of units as they say. Um, I think that it might be some and that they should you know, take advantage of this new program and rent them out. For the remainder, I think that there's a little bit of sort of like comms and politicking happening here. They're trying to create a crisis to force us to revisit the HSTPA. And, and I honestly don't think that we should. I think the, the program is working to keep people in their homes and, it, and it's good. Okay. Well, as I mentioned, um, lots of conversations on these topics uh, a little while back now, I guess it was last year sometime I had uh Jay Martin of the Community Housing uh, Improvement Program, CHIP, uh, that represents uh, owners and managers of hundreds of thousands of rent-stabilized apartments. Uh, I had him on the show to talk about their perspective on on all of this, so folks can find that conversation if they're interested in more about this question and the and the owner-landlord perspective. Um, Sia Weaver, is last call here. Anything we didn't get to you want to give uh, a mention to? We covered a lot of ground here. Anything else on your mind related to all this that you want to take us out on? You know, I don't think so. I think that um, I would just say that if you're a rent stabilized tenant to get involved in the RGB process, that's also kicking off right now. Um, the guidelines board, board is going to, mm-hmm. yeah, the rent guidelines board, the city board is going to determine how much rents go up this year. And now is, um, if you're rent stabilized, this is going to change ha- what happens to your annual lease. So okay. get involved. 
You uh, tweeted, I think, on Friday night after uh, the Real Estate Board of New York statement came out saying uh, blaming legislative leaders and uh, left wing ideology and nimbyism and, and such for the housing negotiations falling apart. You tweeted, I want to be 100 percent clear. Our position has been and is that we need good cause eviction, the housing access uh, voucher program alongside new housing. And we are not the ones who walked away from the table uh, and, and more things you said here in this discussion. But I thought it was very clearly put, as you said, you were doing in that tweet. So um, that's a very interesting perspective. Uh, obviously, uh, we'll be continuing to follow this conversation. Thank you for the time. Um, and we'll see what happens here before a budget deal is reached. You never know, right? See what happens. <laughs> all right. Thanks very much. Thanks so much. See you, Weaver. Housing Justice for All. Appreciate the time. See you later.